At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. You can have a seat. Good morning, Woodside. How are you today? Good. It seems as though you are lively today. I love it. You're alive and well and ready to be here this morning to open up God's Word, right? Absolutely. If you're online, thanks for joining us. We're so excited that you're here with us as well for all those that couldn't make it or maybe you're just visiting online. As we've had many people that have visited online, accepted Christ, and we've been able to baptize them. Isn't that awesome? The power of technology where God uses for his kingdom. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 6, as we just read, that's where we're going to be this morning. Romans 6, verse 1 uh, through, I believe, 7, as we continue in this series that we've been walking through called New-ish. And if you haven't been around, that's okay. Uh, What we've been looking at is the fact that, men in Christ... He has made us new, and we're called, as we're going to even see today in our text, to walk in newness of life. Not new-ish, but newness. And many times within our lives, we're only walking kind of new-ish, and we'll even see more of that uh, today. And before uh, we we look at our text, I just wanted to maybe set our minds and hearts in the right direction. I remember when I was a kid, growing up in church, I heard someone once say something that kind of it didn't sit well with me. I heard it, and I was like, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem in accordance with what I read in the Bible. And it was this. I don't remember the exact context. I was in high school, maybe middle school, and I remember the conversation from this individual where they were talking about sin, or they were talking about just life and how they lived or someone else lived. And the phrase that, that, that I remember kind of came out of their mouth was, it's okay, we're covered by grace. And it was almost this kind of flippant, like, it's no big deal. We don't need to worry about it. We live in the age of grace. The men were covered by God's grace. That it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Maybe you've thought that. I remember Jim said that Jesus has covered all of our past present and future sin, and it's just the grace of God. And I've even heard Jim say before, when Christ died on the cross, all of my sin was future sin, so it's all good. God has covered all of my sin. And I remember that conversation, and I remember our passage today. I remember that doesn't seem like it's the way it's supposed to be, that sin is just something that we just kind of flippantly say, oh, you know, it's all good. There's grace. And unfortunately, I think in the world that we're living in today, many believers are living under that mantra, under that umbrella, that it's grace. It's okay. At the end of the day, there's grace for you today, and it'll meet you exactly where you are. And yes, that is abundantly and overwhelmingly true. But unfortunately, we learn even uh, today That's not how we ought to live with the crutch of God's grace as something that we lean on continually to walk through life making excuses for the way that we live. Um, Last week, my good friend, Pastor Steve Zarelli, and my boss uh, was here, and he opened up God's word with you, and we 
Remember from previous chapter, in chapter 5, this is what kind of sets the stage for what we're going to look at today. It is In Romans 5, we, we, we learn this wonderful news that Christians have this amazing and glorious position of standing in grace. You can read it in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, that we have this favored status. That we're the recipients of God's abundant and amazing, and amazing grace. That our experience of God's grace is so remarkable that Paul says that we can not outsin the grace of God. Isn't that amazing? We can't outsin the grace of God. He says in verse 20 of chapter 5, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And I'm so glad for that because I am a broken person. And if there was a level with which grace ran out, I would be in trouble. He literally is saying that if our sin is constantly an overflowing cup, that God's grace is an infinitely sourced, Niagara-sized waterfall that just continues to run over us. And that's the good news of the gospel. It's such an amazing, glorious, favored position that we sit in with Christ. And so the thought, I think, that many times run through believers' minds is that. Like, man, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It's all good. Well, man, if I can't sin more than God will show grace, then I can just keep sinning or do whatever I want. Or this small sin, or maybe this big sin that's been ruling my life for 20 years or 30 years or five years. It's just not that big of a deal because God's grace is there to meet it. So I want to ask you a fundamental question today is this. Is, is in Christ, or excuse me, in Christ, are we freed to sin or are we freed from sin? Think about that. And then think about the way you live. Or in other words, did Christ's sin-defeating death free us to sin however we want because God's grace is never-ending? Or did Christ free us from having to sin and the power of sin? Because those are much bigger, different things. In order to answer the question, the Apostle Paul turns to our experience in baptism as he shows us from that how we ought to Live And what he's going to show us today, and this is our big idea for today, is our walk must match our baptism. Our walk must match our baptism. What I'm saying by that is the way that we live, the way that we, we function every day, it should be a picture. It should be matching up with what we have pictured and portrayed in our baptism, as the Apostle Paul says here. You know, the church, un, not unlike other organizations, has this initiatory ritual called baptism that we identify with Christ, and it's loaded with meaning. It's not like God just shows, like, man, just this random act, like just dunk people in the water, and that'll be a cool way to identify. But no, it's loaded with meaning with what we experience in Christ and the grace of God. And so when I ask you, what, what testimony does your baptism display? What does your baptism signify in our lives, the first thing that Paul shares with us in, in verses 1 and 2 as we look there quickly now is that we're dead to sin. We died to sin. You are, you are dead to sin today if you're in Christ. Look what it says in verse 1. What shall we say then? This is what I kind of want to reply to that woman when I was younger. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace should abound by no means? Other translation says God forbid King James, what I grew up on. God forbid this shouldn't be the way it is. So when, when you look back at verse 1, 
Paul is actually predicting this question that maybe would be raised by his readers from his earlier um, nuances and talking about the abundance of grace. Because he just got done making, at the end of chapter 5, this amazing claim that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. He's like basically saying, like, man, where your sin is abundant, God's grace is even more abundant. And then right after that, he says, what should we say then? Are we continuing sin that grace may abound? So he's almost raising this question of those who would want to abuse the grace of God. Should we just keep on sinning, that God will keep on showing grace, that he'll keep on pouring out his grace on us? He, qu- he quickly answers. There's no, like, between time or maybe or we'll think about it. Quickly and definitively, he quickly says, by no means. Literally not a chance that we should keep living that way. In other words, Paul lets us know super clearly and in a moment that the abundance of God's grace does not mean that we should abuse the grace of God. If you just think for a moment, I wonder how many times in our lives we abuse the grace of God. Maybe you don't say it out loud, but in the back of your mind you think, yeah, there's an abundance. It's almost like almost weird because in normal cases, if you knew there's an abundance of something, you would use it in a plentiful way. You wouldn't be like, well, I can't use that even though there's an abundance. It reminds me of Costco, right? One of the greatest things that I loved about Costco pre-pandemic was that there was those little samples everywhere. My kids too, like if my wife wanted to go to Costco, I'm like, I'm with you, let's go. Like, you can shop, I'll eat. It's fantastic. And just make my rounds, right? And my kids, and now it's back by the grace of God, amen. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. And really, my kids, when we go to Costco, they think, you look at it, I mean, it kind of tells a story. There's a, a, a person there, and they're making food on the spot, and next to them is a pallet of that food. You look at that, it's like, man, there's an abundance I can just keep making rounds. That lady, that sweet old lady, would just keep bringing out more stuff. And my kids would be like, can we just go back around? I'm like, no, that's abusing the system, and we're not going to buy that stuff. You can have one. That's it, right? Um, It's amazing to think about because, you know, hey, if there's an abundance, why not use it? And I think that, honestly, many times this is exactly the way we think about the grace of God. Man, Paul... You just got done finishing saying that God's grace is abundant and he gives it abundantly. So why don't I just live in sin however I want and walk however I want? Or should I say abuse the grace of God every single day because I know God's grace is an overwhelming, overflowing fountain that will cover every one of my sin. Why shouldn't I just keep doing whatever I want? Well, if you look at how Paul answers in verse 2 at the end of it, He actually answers the question with another almost rhetorical question. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And there's a loaded meaning in this verse or in this question. He says in verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by, the bat- by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's saying, how can we who have died to sin still live in it, he asks. This is his rhetorical question, and he's implying the answer, of course, 
that we can't or we shouldn't or that this is an abuse of the grace of God because we have died to sin, that we are dead to sin because we were baptized with Christ. And you look in verse 3, immediately he explains what he means by that, that we died to sin. It's a really particular phrase, actually, um, dead to sin. He hasn't used it in the letter of Romans up to this point. It's very particular. So what does he mean when he says that we died to sin? Well, he explains it in verse 3 in the terms of our union with Christ, that we are together with Christ. So look at verse 3. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So, so what does he actually mean by that? The Apostle Paul is saying that when we trust Christ, when we're united to him, we aren't just united to him in some general way, but we're specifically united to him in his death. The believers in Christ Jesus aren't just baptized into Christ generally. More specifically, we're baptized into his death. And he's saying that when Christ died on the cross, he wasn't just our savior. He was our representative, and he was there for us, and that we were actually with him in this mysterious and unbelievable and wonderful way. We share in the death of Christ. When he died, we died. So the logic is this, that how can we go living in a way, the very way that we actually already died to? How can we keep living in such a way that we've already died to living in that way? Because it wasn't just Christ who died. He says that we are united to him in his death, that we died to this as well. There's a fundamental contradiction in the fact that if we keep living in sin, but we've been dead to sin, that doesn't add up. And then in verse 4, he gets even a little bit more graphic when he says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So he says, we were buried with Christ. I tell you, when, when Christ was nailed to the cross, we were there with him as our representative. When, when Jesus' corpse was buried in a tomb, we were there with him as our representative. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, so we don't just benefit from Christ's death. No, we identify with Christ's death. We're united with Christ in his death. So, so this is the point. And if we died with Christ, if we were with him in that as a picture of our baptism or by our baptism when we're baptized, how can we go on living in the very way that which we have died. Jesus died for our sin. We died with Christ. How can we go on living in that way? It, it reminds me of marriage. It's an amazing thing. As a pastor, you get to do a lot of weddings, and you get to see people stand before hundreds of people and pledge their love, their unconditional love, and they come forward and they put a ring on, and I know it's a terrible illustration because I'm not wearing my wedding ring because I lost it a short bit ago, and I keep losing them, and i got to figure out a way to keep it permanently on my hand. Um, so I'm thinking about this. I'm like, my illustration is really going to break down because I'm not wearing a wedding ring, but um, I promise my wedding, my marriage is fantastic. Uh, I just lost my wedding ring. But these people stand before hundreds of other people, and they identify with one another, and they do it through vows. 
in sickness and in health till death do us part. It's beautiful that they're pledging their life to one another. But can I tell you, in the same token, as they're pledging their life to one another, they're identifying with one another, or they're also unidentifying with every other man or man or woman in the world. That I'm identifying with this person, I'm pledging my love to this person, I'm actually giving signs with a ring and a token that I am with this person. At the same moment, I'm saying, I am not with everyone else. And I give my love and I receive this unconditional love. This is exactly what we do in baptism. After we've given our life to Christ, we're publicly, directly, and powerfully stating, sin, you are nothing to me. You are dead to me. I renounce you. I unidentify with you. And I do identify with Christ and his death, his death for sin, so that I could actually die to sin. I'm unidentifying with it, and I'm identifying with Christ. And what an abuse for me, if I am married, to then live however I want with my spouse, to just say, whatever. I don't care. You told me you love me unconditionally. I can do whatever I want. What an abuse to treat my spouse however I want. What an abuse to live in such a way that I can do whatever I want, knowing that they pledged their love for me till death do us part. Or maybe, what an abuse to be like, I didn't do anything that gives rounds or grounds for divorce in the scriptures so I can keep living this way and she or he just has to keep putting up with me because they committed their love to me. And what an abuse for us to live in the same way in light of what we are identified to in Christ. Can I ask you, have you made that kind of renunciation of sin? Have you made a fundamental shift in allegiance from sin to Jesus? Do you identify with Christ and Christ's death? Just think about that. And if you have, can I just speak truth over you today? You are dead to sin. It no longer rules over you. How can we live in which we are actually dead to? We can't. We have the power over the things that come against us. Sure, is there grace for our sin as we continue to struggle in life until Jesus returns? Absolutely. I am not, pre- I am not preaching perfection. That Man, I'm a loser here today, Jim, because I struggle with sin. Can I tell you, if we just have a sin rally, I'm going to be at the front. Woo, let's go. Not that I should be living in it, but man, I am a broken sinner. God didn't choose me because I was good. God chose me because he loved me unconditionally. Right? So I'm not saying that we don't struggle. I'm not saying that there's not sin or there's not grace for you in your brokenness. And maybe today some of you just need to hear that because you struggle to believe the fact that God loves you because you struggle so much. And I just want to tell you this morning that God still loves you and his grace is still there for you today. In your struggling, God wants to meet you in that moment, in your brokenness, and say, tomorrow is a new day. Let's walk together tomorrow or today or right now. His grace is sufficient. That's the beautiful truth. The beautiful truth is that that even even in my abuse of the grace of God, he is still flowing his grace upon me. 
But I think many of us, yes, there's grace, but we need to come back to the fact that, man, that does not give us a license to abuse it. Because Christ died to sin, we should be saying, our response should be, we're done with it. I am done with sin. You see, there's a big difference between habitual sin and struggling. Habitual sin is just kind of like I'm living in it and it's something that I've always had. I'm never going to overcome this. I'm just going to live in it anyways or I'm chasing after it. It's just there. You know what? It's okay. I've struggled with lust for 30 years. It's fine. It's no big deal. I'm never going to overcome this. Or man, I, I've struggled with, with, with whatever it may be for however long. And you know what? It's okay. God understands he made me this way. There's a big difference between that and struggling with everything we have, beating our fists against the table to say, God, I will, by your grace, if you help me overcome this. I will not, I will, as, as the Apostle Paul says, to make war against our sin and our brokenness. There's a huge difference. I, I just ask you today, maybe the thing that I, I know that I don't have to do much preaching because the Holy Spirit is the greatest preacher ever. Amen? I just share... And the Spirit of God is talking to each one of you. And each one of you, because we're all broken and sinful, the Spirit of God is putting his finger on that thing or maybe things in your life. And I just want to ask you today, maybe today is the day you just say, I'm done. I am done with that. I am releasing it to the Lord. It's amazing as you look, not only are we dead to sin, we shouldn't live in it any longer, but there's a second thing, that we rose to newness of life. Look at the end of verse 4. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, excuse me, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection, in a resurrection, excuse me, like his. So when you go under the water in baptism, you don't stay under the water, right? Depends on if we lose you or we like slip, you might stay under there for a little bit, but you shouldn't. But imagine if it was like that. You just, when you get baptized, you just get held under there for a while, hold your breath as long as you can, and then you stay under there because you want the picture because, no, the picture isn't that we are dead. The picture is, yes, we were dead. And so there's this amazing thing that happens that I love watching uh, a couple weeks ago for outdoor baptism. As people burst from the water, coming out of the water, there's this amazing picture of how Christ burst out of the grave and overcame sin, death, and hell for us. That's the beautiful picture of baptism. Because this is the same way that we're united with Christ in death. We're also, also not just united with Christ in his death, but we're united with Christ in his resurrection. That when he overcame the grave, I overcame the grave in Christ. Amen? That when he overcame the grave, you overcame the grave in Christ. And this means that in the present, can I, I can't say this enough, that in the, the present we are called to walk in newness of life, as the scripture says. That means that, man, in the future, when Christ returns, our physical bodies will be raised too. So here's the deal. This is the beautiful thing about the resurrection. The resurrection, resurrection changes the way that we live today. That we walk in newness of life. 
but also the resurrection changes and, and changes our perspective and our future hope. In, the, in, in one day that our bodies will be resurrected and we'll live in eternity with God forever. Amen? So it changes the way we are now, but also it changes us in the future. And then starting in verse 6, Paul goes on to this graphic, vivid terms in, in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So he uses these two interesting terms. He says old self and body of sin. So what does he mean by these two things? By old self, he's just talking about the old man, referring to who we were before Christ, before we believed in Jesus and followed after Jesus. Our old self, our sinful self, has been put to death in Christ Jesus. And now we are renewed to a new self that walks in newness of life, or we should be walking in newness of life. And then he uses this other phrase, body of sin. What does, he, what does he mean by that? He says that our old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. I can tell you, Paul is not talking about our physical bodies being inherently evil. No, our bodies are God's creation, but sin uses, as one commentator said, sin uses our body for its own evil purposes perverting our natural instincts, disregarding sleepiness into sloth, hunger into greed, sexual desires into lust. So in other words, sin reaches, or its reach, impacts our actual bodies, our thoughts, our desires, our impulses, and the way that we live every day, it perverts and twists the the good things of God into something that can be very broken. He says, in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing. Here's the thing. The whole point of the cross and the resurrection, and I can't say this loud enough with more emphasis, and I won't yell, I'll just read it and tell you, but I can't say this without more emphasis, is that the whole point of the cross and the resurrection is not just that we would be free from guilt and sin, but also that we would also be freed from the power of sin and the claim of sin on our lives. Do you understand what I mean by that? The the point of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ is not that we would just be freed from the sin and guilt of our lives. It was that we would be set freed from the power of sin, the enslavement of sin that rules and reigns in our lives today. It's not just about being forgiven. It's also about being transformed. It's not just that, man, I I made a decision when I was 12 years old and I gave my life to Jesus and it feels really good to be forgiven of my sin. No, it's much more than that, that God gave his life on the cross and rose from the grave that I could walk in newness of life, that I would be transformed by the gospel, that I wouldn't live in sin, that God died, that I wouldn't have to. And I think so many of us fundamentally are just sitting and resting in the fact that, man, God, yes, he gave his life for me, and I'm forgiven of my sin, and it's a beautiful and amazing truth, and it makes me feel incredibly grateful. But at the end of the day, do we take another step of repenting of the sins in our lives and allowing the gospel to transform our lives, that we might be different, 
and walk in the newness of life that Christ died that we might be able to experience. You know that God died, Christ died on the cross, that you might experience freedom. Freedom. Not freedom, as Romans 6 says, to keep sinning. No, God forbid. He gave his life on the cross. He might be freed from the power of sin. There's this amazing passage. It's very similar to this one that I often read when I'm struggling or overwhelmed by my own sin. It's in Colossians chapter 2. It won't be on the screen. I just want to read it for you. In verse 11, you can mark and read it later. It says this, the Apostle Paul writing, Colossians 2 and verse 11, says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Listen, it's very similar. Have, have been buried, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the, the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Amen? All of my sin and my brokenness, my shame, my guilt, he canceled all of that out by nailing it to the cross, but we only oftentimes get that part of it. There's a verse after it that is so powerful for us to live in every single day, and it's this in verse 15. He disarmed the, rule, the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The yes, I've been forgiven of all of my sin and my brokenness and my shame. It's beautiful. But he also triumphed over sin and death and hell and Satan. That I can walk in newness of life. That I can function in a way that I, there is no sin that has a power over me. Because Christ overcame them all. And all of the rulers and authorities, Satan, and everything he comes against us, he's been put to open shame. And I could list for you all of my own brokenness and struggles and the things that I wrestle with, and you could list your own. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus didn't die for me or for you, for us to just be forgiven of all of that stuff. No, he died to free us from all of that stuff, to give us new life. John Scott, or John Stott, excuse me, he says this, it's, powerful. He says, the death and resurrection of Jesus are not only historical facts and significant doctrines, but also personal experiences, since through faith and baptism, we have come to share in them ourselves. But they're not just truths that we adhere to, but they're experiences in our own lives. So that's why I want to ask you this morning, do you mentally agree with the historical claims about the death and resurrection of Jesus? You'd probably say, yeah, totally. But I just want to ask you, are you experiencing the truths of the death and resurrection of Jesus? Not just, not just knowing them, but are you experiencing them? Are you experiencing the sweet and amazing working of the Holy Spirit that's 
bringing you to life in Christ Jesus and enabling you to walk in newness of life? Or are you just resting in the fact that you're forgiven? Coming to church and leaving and it's all good, it's just the grace of God. Are you experiencing that every day? If so, then there's, man, there's no way to conceive, go on sinning and allowing the grace of God to abound. No, you died to sin. Now you're called and you're enabled by the power of the Spirit of God to walk in newness of life. We're buried with Christ, denying the sin that comes after us. And when Christ rose from the grave, he put all of this to open shame, display, and brought us to new life, freed us from the sin that comes after us, and we wrestle against every single day. So the question is now, is your walk, is my walk of life, the way we conduct ourselves, the attitudes we carry, do they demonstrate that we have died with Christ and that now we're walking in newness of life? Do they match up with our baptism? For you, maybe today, just a practical step of obedience is that you haven't been baptized. You've just been wrestling with, should I get baptized? Can I just, I'll, I'm being the most graceful I can. You don't need to pray about being baptized. There's no example in the scriptures where someone prayed and said, man, I'm just not ready. They received Christ, they gave their life to Christ, and they got baptized. And I'm not being either. Many people wrestle and struggle with, well, I was baptized as a child. And, and I'm, again, there's, I'm not putting down your experience of spirituality in the past. I'm just telling you and showing you that the baptism we're hearing about here is something that I consciously myself stepped into in obedience with Jesus, that I would identify with Jesus. I can't get married when I'm a baby because I can't commit and identify with my spouse. And what Jesus calls us to in baptism is after we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus is to identify with him. And the picture of baptism is what we're identifying in, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe today, for you, it's scanning the QR code on the back of the seat and filling out a communication card with your phone and saying, man, I, I just want to at least have a conversation about what it looks like for me to identify with Christ in baptism. Maybe for many of us today, it's starting the process of saying, man, there is brokenness of my life that I've allowed to reign. Maybe some small stuff. You think it's not a big deal. Like, so what? I cheat a little bit on my taxes. It's no big deal. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I, I, just, I just do this little thing. No one really knows about it. But if it's sin, it's brokenness, and it's, it's re repetition in your life. But for some of us, it might be big stuff. It might be stuff your spouse has no clue about. It might be stuff that no one in your life knows about. And today maybe is the process for you to step in. And the initiation, the beginning of the process, is saying before the Lord, I want to repent of this. And repentance means I'm going in the other direction. I'm going to begin to walk in this direction, leaving that behind in the power of Christ. And then inviting people into the process. And if you're in a group, maybe it's, it's confessing. Confess our sins one to another, it says in the scripture. That we might bear each other's burdens and walk with one another. Maybe it's telling your group in the coming weeks, that, man, this is a wrestling, and I want you to walk with me. Maybe you're not in a group. Maybe you should step into that or just invite other people into the process with you. I'd love to be a part of that. Pastor Alex, team, maybe it's just after the service or during this next song, just come find me, Pastor Alex, 
or the prayer team that's down here, and say, Lord, today I'm done. I want to walk in light of my baptism. We're going to sing a song, and I'll invite the band to come out. It's called Look Where I'm Standing Now. Just a reflection on what Christ has done as he's taken us from the wilderness as the Israelis as the Israelites picture for us, and into the promised land of being in Christ. And I want you to just sing with us and all of that, but at the same time, I want you to contemplate, like, man, look where God has brought me. Look where I'm standing now in the grace of God. And may that not go by you so quickly. May you not be like, okay, they're singing the last song. I'm just going to leave so I can get to the car first or I can get to the bathroom or I get my kid first. But maybe just rest and allow the Spirit of God to bring to light in your own heart and mind the things that you have not allowed the Spirit of God to overcome in your life in the name of Jesus. Maybe today it starts with repenting of those things and moving forward and walking in newness of life. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we just come to you today with open arms. Knowing that we would be nothing without you, but also knowing that we are something with you. We are your children. We are your kids. We are with you, and we've been buried with you, and we've rose from the grave with you. So in light of that, God, you call us to walk in light of what you've done for us. For so many of the years of my own life, God, I've just shrugged off certain things like it wasn't a big deal. Well, there's no reason, and I, or I'll never... I'll never overcome that. But God, that is not of you. That is of Satan. Those are lies. And so today, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would, just, you would break down all of the lies that are in every heart or mind here or online, that all the things that are going through people's mind right now, those things, you have the power, not we, you have the power to overcome every one of those things. You already overcame them. Help us, Lord. Today, help us maybe just to take a step saying, I'm going to repent of those things. I'm going to invite other people into the process that I want your people, your family that you've given me to walk with me. And it might be a process of a life of struggling, but at least I'm struggling towards newness. I'm not resting or sitting down in brokenness. Help us like you spoke so many years ago when Lazarus was dead in a tomb and you said, Lazarus, come out and you brought him to life and he took off all of his broken and dead clothes, his grave clothes. Today, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking for those here and online to take a step of repentance that they would take off their grave clothes, their smelly, broken, sinful clothes that they're walking in and walk in newness of life as you call them right now, Jesus, in this room, one by one, to repent of the brokenness and walk in newness of life. It's in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.